And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast from classic culture to the cheese in between. The movies are B, but the entertainment is great, A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Jackanetti, joined this time by my brother, Mr. Luke Jackanetti. Hey, Jay, how's it going? All right, folks, time to set your way back machine all the way to 1978, because we're going back to that most seminal of slasher flicks. We're taking a look at John Carpenter's Halloween. And we'll get to it right after this. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. And totally charted. Just talk. <laughs> sure, sure. The only reason she babysits is to have Halloween.
released October 25th, 1978, with a 91 minute running time. Your director, of course, is the one and only John Carpenter. At the time, he just was a young man named John Carpenter, but now everyone knows him as right. just being, you know, the auteur. Uh, your the movie was written by uh, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, and of course produced by Deborah Hill. Uh, your stars here: Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, P.J. Souls, and Nancy Loomis are your four major stars there. Cinematography by Dean Cundy. Your editor was Tommy Wallace and uh, Charles Borstein. Music, of course, was John Carpenter. Before that was the thing you actually would do, would you know score your own movie. Your production companies uh, credited to Compass International Pictures and Falcon International Productions, distributed through uh, Compass International Pictures, uh, Aquarius Releasing. And, of course, as most of you probably will know if you're listening to this podcast, your budget was between three hundred to 325000 and the box office is estimated at roughly $70 million, making it one of the most successful movies of all time. Uh, by way of return on investment, right? That's by far retired. Yeah, as far as far as ROI and what's that's seventy million dollars, nineteen seventy eight dollars too. That that's the thing to consider. Um, it it would be a disservice to uh, understate just how popular this film was. And I mean, you you can look at just what it wrought for to, as a, as a testament to its popularity. But this film made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And it made it very clear that this sort of this sort of film could, in fact, be uh, the type of thing that could make you a lot of money. And that's why we're going to see um, in the, the the years following after from 1978, a lot of people get into that exact same uh, market position and that same uh, genre space and try and recreate the, uh, the return on investment that uh, Carpenter and Hill and company got with Halloween. Yeah. And the crazy part is, too. Um, the 70 million is only what it took in in theater tickets. Doesn't even come into account right, right. how much money this movie has made since literally this movie makes money every year. Um, the Halloween uh, property alone, you know, for Carpenter, uh, you know, it just has as his is his most successful property ever. Um, and, you know, him and Deborah Hill and obviously, you know, everyone who has their pieces and parts. But the the idea that like this movie makes money constantly. It is on every year. It is just, it, you know, how many different special edition, you know, TV editions, extended editions, you name it. Um, because it's just such a, the movie just, it's, it's, it's evergreen. It's always going to make, it's, it's always making money. And then what happens is a new generation discovers it and it just makes money all over again. Uh, right. So, yeah. And, and the, as I was say, that, that does, like you say, it doesn't take into account even like home video. Yep. You know, the amount of uh, tapes that they sold of it. I mean, I have this movie on tape for crying out loud. Yeah. So <laughs> I have this movie in multiple formats. Yes, but... <laughs> as do I. Uh, and one of the things, the other thing, too, that was not common back then was uh, John Carpenter scored this movie. Now, uh, and nowadays, if you hear John Carpenter scoring something, it's like, oh, yeah, awesome. But, you know, no one knew who John Carpenter was, but it was very cheap to score it himself. So is why he did it. Um, but. The, the score of Halloween has become so iconic that literally it's been ripped off just as many times probably as Halloween's been ripped off. You know what I'm saying? So, um, right. Well, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's a horror movie that uses, um, the main theme is it just a Liet motif, right? That just repeats itself over and over again. And that's, that itself has become something of a, uh, 
uh, a trope or a cliche. You can even look back at, at Jaws for kind of starting that. But that, that's been used many times over because it's instantly recognizable. Right. I mean, you can the chances are like if you're like me and you work in a big office, the chances are there's someone on your floor has the Halloween uh, theme as their ringtone. I know I do. It's not me. There's somebody else on the floor that that has it. So Um, it is a you know, it's it's instantly recognizable. And and the thing you said with Carpenter doing that, it's just an old, um, you know, an old B movie trick. Right. The more jobs you take on, the less people you have to pay. Right. 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 And so for Carpenter, who at the time had, had was doing music just uh, as a, as his own thing. Right. Um, him to do the score just meant, OK, now I don't have to pay somebody or convince someone else to do this. And it just so happened that he did such an amazing job with it that it's become not only an iconic piece of horror music in its own right, but it also is now intrinsically tied with this franchise and, um, you know, as just builds that uh, equity in the franchise and allows them to use that going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to the point where uh, obviously, uh, you know, Carpenter's direction and score were immediately recognized when it first came out. When people, you know, the idea, though, going here is like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this movie is so, you know, people weren't ready for this kind of thing. Some people weren't ready for this kind of thing. And it's funny because um, uh, uh, Adriana Barbeau t- t- or tells the, um, the story about she's sitting in the theater with, watching this movie and she's oh she's like she's digging into Car- uh, john's arm as they were engaged and she's like you know oh my god oh my god oh my god and it's like um and who is i think it was tom atkins was sitting next to them and she goes you're gonna marry this guy like you know kind of thing like literally like this is what he makes and then what of course tom atkins is in halloween three uh you know years later but um one of the things that this is pointed to is that uh, this movie is credited along the lines of Psycho and like Bob Clark's Black Christmas as literally like the inspirations for the entire slasher genre. Um, and right. the, even beyond that, this movie is so influential um, in, you know, obviously in many, many different things, just the shots that are used in it, how things are, um, you know, the pacing of the movie, you know, all those different things that were studied when people weren't studying things, movies like that. And uh, in fact, in, in 2006, yeah. it was actually uh, selected for preservation in the uh, United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress because it's, quote unquote, culturally, historically or aesthetically significant. Um, and that's crazy right. to think that Halloween, this little tiny babysitter, you know, killer movie is literally that important. But it is so. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just just it always blows my mind because it's a movie that uh, right and and you know. I mean anytime anytime that a horror film gets recognition yeah right and but then but then even beyond that not not and not not just a slasher movie but a slasher movie that has what has I think it has twelve sequels and follow ups yeah there's thirteen you know? movies totally so yeah. right so it's like there's that that that's in the Library of Congress is is a, an astounding testament to the uh, the creativity and the uh, uh, achievement of the entire casting crew of this film. And again, looking at it now, I mean, this film is 45 years old. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it is still effective for everything it sets out to do. Are there aspects of it that you're like, okay, that was, that was, you know, that was a time it's set in 1978. Then yeah, that's there, but there's nothing about this film that doesn't hold up. It's, 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 it's so tautly, uh, written and directed that it just moves and it moves at an incredible pace 
that you can't help but see the the quality on the screen. Even mm-hmm. even non horror fans, I think, can appreciate this film because of its its merit as a film and the fact that it is not it's not geek show, right? And I think that that's part of it. A lot of the things that it spawned would relatively quickly, not even slowly, but relatively quickly meander over into geek show. Mm-hmm. And Carpenter resists that temptation here. You know, it's, it's again, it, it's one of those uh, one of those poverty row filmmaking uh, truisms. But when you can't afford to show certain things, right. you don't show certain things. Yeah. And that makes that makes it all the worse. Right. Yeah. It's kind of the Paul Heyman approach to filmmaking and you know, mm-hmm. hide the negatives and accentuate the positives. Yep. You know, yep. so that and, that and that's that is that's a lot of what we get here. There are certain things that Carpenter knew he could do and knew he could do well, certain things that they probably couldn't do. So let's not waste our time pursuing the things we can't do. Let's dig into the stuff that we can do. Yeah. And uh, obviously, um, you know, this movie's spawned, as Luke said, 12, 12 other movies in the franchise. Um, the novelization, which is very, very famous, uh, the the Halloween um I don't think it was anything more than just a trade paperback. It was just like a paperback book, you know, that you yeah. pick up wherever. It's a not. It's it's not even a trade. It's a ma- it's a mass market paperback. Mass market. I, I own it. Got it at a. Uh, you got that at a used bookstore. We were on vacation in Pennsylvania. If yep. I want to yep. be correct about that, I still have my copy from when I was a kid. Yeah. I've read that read that novelization about probably roughly a million times. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the novelization. I, I you know, uh, you had shared a post with me on social media a couple of months back. With the um, the novelization of two, which I've never seen in person. Yep. It's like, oh man, I'd love to get a copy yep. of that. But and it, that's yeah, not but cheap. Between the uh, no, it's no, not, it's not it's cheap. Not cheap at all. Um, but between the novelization, of course, there there was a video game back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been several comic book series. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I think it was was it Devil's Due was one of the Image imprints was doing one. Actually, it was a it was a very good series called the the first death of Laurie Strode, and it never it never finished. They did like two two issues of it, and they stopped making it. So I was like, I guess I guess we'll never find out what the first death of Laurie Strode was. But um, <laughs> there, there, there's been you know it's it's one of those things that you it it's a from what we get here, you wonder like, wow, how do you turn this into a franchise, right? right, right. But you know, again, it, a lot of that I think goes to Mustafa Akkad. Uh, taking it and, you know, finding certain little niches or, or aspects that could be could be taken and blown up and expanded into new stories. And and, uh, you know, the it's like anything else. It, after a while, the 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 entire, um, uh, uh, you know, universe takes on a life of its own. Right. Yep, yep. Where there are certain things that and Halloween is, is worse than most of them in this respect, that there are certain aspects that exist in certain films but are ignored in other films. And the fans of, you know, let's just say it, the fans of Thorn, right, do not yeah. necessarily get along with the fans of H2O, do not necessarily get along with the fans of, uh, you know, Bloomhouse, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you've got the Rob Zombie folks in the middle who everybody's just kind of pointing the fingers at. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, 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 it can all be... It, it it's almost like the the perfect example of headcanon, right? We we just make our own Halloween headcanon based on what we like and what's interesting to us, and we just kind of go with that. And if something sort of fits, we kind of you know squint at it and you know blur the lines a little bit. And if it doesn't, we just enjoy the ride. Yeah, uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, Mustafa Akkad. Um, is that uh, in back at the Milan Film Festival, um, Carpenter's film Assault on Precinct 13, the original 1976 version. 
uh, was being filmed, and uh, ind- the independent film producer Erwin um, Yablans uh, and uh, Akkad approached Carpenter about doing a movie about a psychotic killer who stalked babysitters. Um, and they they were thinking in the sense of like the horror genre, but they weren't 100 percent sure on everything. Um, and then um, what happened was then they got Deborah Hill involved, who was um, his then girlfriend. Uh, and they started drafting the story to Halloween. And the whole thing was it was kind of based off of the urban myths about, you know, a babysitter murder. But um, Yablons actually had said in a, another interview that um, they had never were never it was never seriously going to be called the babysitter murderers. He wanted to base it on Halloween because up to that point, there had not been a movie um, themed around Halloween. Like there's things that right. took place on Halloween, but it was never one theme that, that was that. And he wanted to make an old haunted house film. And actually that Bob Clark had come out and said that uh, Carpenter had actually talked to him about doing a sequel to Black Christmas. Um, but that obviously, you know, a sequel to Black Christmas uh, in the idea, it may be not in the idea of doing the direct sequel, but that there's a, like a, a motiveless killer. Like it's he's just killing people for the sake of killing them. And as we know, well, for those of you who don't know, Black Christmas is, I mean, that's 74. It's even older than this. Um, like, literally, that movie, nothing's resolved at the end. Like, it's, uh, sorry, spoiler alert. Right. Nothing's resolved at the end. Like, literally, they don't solve the, the murders, you know? And it was like, it was set up perfectly to be a sequel. Um, but obviously, you know, things happen for a reason. And uh, I, I'm obviously, I think we are all the better for not having black Christmas too, you know, you know, whatever's, whoever's revenge, um, directed by John Carpenter, right. but instead Halloween. Um, so, but again, there's so much in depth stuff. The, the amount of, um, I want to say the book's called taking shape. I think that's the name of it. Um, and that I, I'm almost hundred percent sure that's the name of the one. And it's about the creation of Halloween. And then there's taking shape Two, which is about the creation of Halloween too. Uh, but it's all, I, I almost 100% sure that's the name of it. Uh, but it's literally just an entire book dedicated to making one movie. And you think like, well, that happens. You know, they have those things. I'm like, yes, but like, it's 1978. It's not like a movie made now. Like where they actually, you know, like, I mean, right. thankfully everyone's still, you know, they're talking to was alive when they're doing it, you know? So, um, but anyway, so we've talked all about the movie. Let's actually talk about what actually happens in the yep. movie. And we it talked goes about the movie, so let's talk about the movie. Right. And it goes a little something like this. On Halloween night in 1963, in the suburban town of Haddonfield, Illinois, six-year-old Michael Myers stabs his teenage sister Judith to death with a chef's knife. All right, let's stop there for a second. The shot that is the POV shot of Michael is the one continuous shot. It was, oh, you got to help me here because I don't remember... It's it's um it's the longest continuous POV shot up until that point ever shown on film or something like that, right? If I'm remembering yeah, correctly. Yeah, it's something like that. Now the thing about the thing about the shot is that it it does have a disguise cut in it. Yes. When, when Michael puts the mask on, there was no feasible way yep. to do that where it's now has the cutouts on the on the uh, in front of the the lens. So that is a disguised cut, but it is it is a famous uh, POV uh, shot. It's what it is one of the longest uh, at that time. I don't I don't know if it was the longest yeah. or not, but it is it is one of the longest ones. And what's amazing about that is this is pre Steadicam. 
Yep. So that is handheld, right? Yep. And we actually, um, you know, long ago, before the last great ice age, when I was an undergrad at Clemson University taking film class, we studied that shot. Because of talking about using handheld and versus Steadicam and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And yeah. it is, it, again, that is, it's, it's such a, it's, it's confrontational. We, we, you and I, and uh, I think you and dad have talked about this too. It's confrontational to make the audience look through the eyes of the killer. Right. right? And we know that something bad is up because Michael very quickly into the scene grabs a kitchen knife. So we know something's up relatively early in the shot or in the scene, I should say. So it's and, and Friday the Thirteenth would make a, a you know a, a whole you know career essentially as a franchise out of doing this of putting you in the POV from Jason right. Voorhees, right? right? So it's uh, so it, it immediately confronts you and makes you wonder what the hell is going on, and you know we we do hear oh Michael's around here somewhere, but we don't know that Michael is is six. We know that. He's obviously very small mm-hmm. and that he's dressed like a clown, but we don't have the other information. We, you know, it's, it's the, uh, the, the, the depth of information that we have is, is very slim. So it, it, yeah, like I said, it, and it, it's such a wonderful execution because it immediately grabs you and, and, and throws you into this world. Um, one thing I do want to mention. So the, the, not in the prologue here, two things. One, First off, that is the quickest quickie in the history of sex. That's yes, all I've got to yes, say about yeah. that. But I was, you know, I've always thought that. But watching it now, are we supposed to take this prologue literally? Or is this the time lapse sort of way that Michael remembers it? Right. Is that the idea that this is not an accurate depiction necessarily of what happened? But if you look at the time compression, if you look at the um the 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 specifics of of movements and where characters are i'm thinking specifically the fact that michael that first off judith and her boyfriend go upstairs they're done in less than two minutes he is then dressed and down the stairs right michael goes upstairs judith is composed enough that she's now brushing her hair he kills judith goes downstairs just in time for his parents to come home right Unmask him, and then they both, st- all three of the characters stand there on the side of the street, not saying a word. So it's like, okay, I, I was start, and there's a couple other times through this film that's like, is the intent not to depict realism? Is the intent to depict, you know, memory or you know, uh, even not even maybe just a sense of what something was? You know right, what I'm saying? Right, right, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I can't argue with that. It does, and it's one of those things that people have always kind of pointed to, going. Well, if it's so good, how come this? How come this? Then it's like, okay, you're taking everything literally. Every if you must take everything literally, then then this movie would literally would you would be okay. He's a child now. Like, not everything happens exactly literally. Like you know, second for second. It's not you know like it's not it's not the the TV series Twenty Four. You know what I'm saying? So um, right. But yeah. I know I I definitely can see that. Remember, and, the, remember that episode of Remember that episode of Twenty Four where Jack Bauer got some bad sushi and like spent half of it in the bathroom. That was gripping, gripping yeah. television. Yeah, well, <laughs> someone thought that was a great idea and they put it though. So. Anyway, here we go. All right, so through this, he finished killing his sister. Mom and dad pulled the mask off him. Life, you know, as uh, he knows it, changes. So on October thirtieth, nineteen seventy eight, Michael's psychiatrist, Doctor Samuel Loomis, played by the incomparable donald pleasance um and his it's the ultimate evil his colleague 
Nurse Marion Chambers. Now, I, okay, let me just stop there. I always thought, like, when he said, because he said Marion Chambers, and I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's a play on Marilyn Chambers, but it doesn't have to be. Um, they, they drive to Smith Grove Sanitarium, where Michael has been incarcerated, to escort Michael to court for a hearing. Uh, Loomis hopes that Michael will be in uh, imprisoned for the rest of his life. Michael escapes Smith Grove and steals the car. That's kind of generalized what's happening there. So um, there's the yeah. great line where she's like, since when do they let them out? Like, literally all the mental yeah. patients are on the lawn. Like, <laughs> and that's, that doesn't... Right. They're, and they're all kind of wandering. They're all wandering about, which is... That's that's kind of bad in its own right. You know, right. this sanitarium is designed that it's holding um, somebody like Michael Myers. What other type of... of uh, you know, um, folks are, are, you know, uh, committed in, right. in this asylum, right? right. It's kind of make you wonder. Well, they, the ones that are kind of just wandering the lawn do seem fairly harmless. A um, couple of things in this. So I do love, uh, of course, it's 1978. So people, everybody's smoking. Yes. Um, Nurse Chambers takes a exception to Dr. Loomis referring to Michael as it. Yeah. It's like we call them it now. And it's like, yeah, okay, because then Doctor, we'll we'll get Loomis's uh, uh, his his uh, monologue about that later on. But I like that. If right there, we already know kind of what Loomis's mindset is, right, right? Right. And Donald Pleasance is such an expressive character actor that you know we we feel like we know Doctor Loomis right from this first scene. And I love Doctor Loomis. You know, he he is one of my favorite, um, you know, uh, favorite roles ever of Donald Pleasance. One of my favorite characters in in horror films, frankly, since he is, you know, just an unflappable guy in a in a trench coat. But uh, um, the uh, yeah, but the the whole thing with like you said, and that sequence of Michael jumping on the car mm-hmm. and grabbing her through the window, and then uh, breaking the window on the passenger side. Right. You know, again, we're. We, we've all we're already we don't have a ton of information. We've only gotten a little bit of information from Loomis and and, uh, and Chambers. And, and now, again, everything we're, we're not even 10 minutes into the movie and things have escalated again. Yep. 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 Uh, so but he also steals the car, which is always a point of contention for people. How did he know how to drive? Like, again, you're buying everything up to this point. Like you have to believe because they even, but they even mention it in the movie. Like, well, how do you know how to drive? They must have taught him. Like, he just, it's, it's the idea well, that yeah, he's exactly, yeah, it's the idea that he's seeing. Like, Loomis talks about it. He wasn't staring at the wall. He was staring at this day. And it's like what he's like. He's yeah. looking forward to killing his sis, his other sister, like that. You know, and there's always that controversy. Yeah, but, and even, but it, and well, and then that's it. We don't even that, no, and that again. Yeah. Is, is, does, does he know it's his sister yeah. at this time? Is it his sister? Right. Yes, because right, right. that is a, that is a development that comes later yeah. that Laurie Strode spoilers for the rest of it. Laurie Strode is his younger sister who was someplace else on that night. Cause she was too young uh, to that, that uh, I guess Judith begged off. And so she's staying with a neighbor or something, I believe is the, the explanation. Yeah. But you know, the, um, so it, it becomes a, a, again, how, if you hang a lampshade on it, how did he even know how to drive? Maybe someone here is giving him lessons, you know, which, yeah. again, you, you can very easily hand wave that later on because it's like, oh, it's somebody from the cult of Thorn is giving him lessons. Right. Because they need him to get out and do this stuff. Right. Yeah. You can you Thorn explains so many, so many plot holes in these movies. 
if you if you really wanted to. It can explain its own plot holes. Right. But yeah. the other ones, yeah. it's really good at explaining yeah. away. The, the ones um, it creates are so, not not explainable, but the other yeah. ones, yeah, we just fill those in. So <laughs> Right. But uh, but yeah, you think about it. So yeah, it's, but it's, it's, but it's fifteen. It's, it's fifteen. It's fifteen years later, and Lori's supposed to be what right. sixteen. So she's one. Yeah, I think she's either sixteen or seventeen. Right. Yeah, so she's, she's one she's, or two. She's an infant. She, yeah. She, she's she's a little baby or an infant at most, you know, kind of thing, right? So, uh, where are we here? So the next day, uh, which is Halloween, obviously, because it's the thirty-first. After having killed the mechanic for his coveralls, uh, on his way to Haddonfield and stolen knives, rope. On a white, expressionless mask from a hardware store, Michael sees high school student Lori Stroud drop off a key at the long-abandoned Myers house that her father is trying to sell. Okay, there's a lot there to unpack. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about the mask because that is, we could literally do an entire podcast just about each mask in each movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. as everyone knows by now, it is a Shatner mask that was... The yep. hair was ripped off. So it was the sideburns were ripped off. It was sprayed with appliance white, which is what they did. Um, in fact, it is actually one of the things that as a mask painter, um, one of the challenges is to turn the Shatner. They make a Shatner mask just for you to do this. You literally buy the Shatner mask right. that they make. Um, you do. You make your own hollow you know michael myers you know shape mask and it's one of the things that's like a quote-unquote right. rite of passage i've never done one from scratch i've done i've done myers mass i've done myers mass for um classic ones i've done ones for the 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 like the later films the rob zombie movie uh i've done one for the newer the new trilogy i've done a couple of those including the ones with the mold and the burns and the whatever and the, the, the when he gets shot and stuff like that. Oh, sorry. There's there's a bunch of movies, folks, and they're all the masks are different every one of them. But I've done those yeah. kind of thing. But I've never taken a Shatner mask because I I to me spending like a hundred and twenty dollars on a mask just to rip it apart. Like, what I mean, and then the pro, the hard part is hitting it with the appliance white to look correct because it's not just the appliance white. You then have to go through knock it on the hair, not do that. It's it's, it's a process. And in the, um, I want to say it was on stars. I think it was, it's the, 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 oh, behind the monsters or whatever that series was that a couple years ago, yes. um, Nick Castle talks about that. He shows the process of doing it. And I'm like, wow, just wow. Like, you know, you're looking at this thing going, this thing could have been God awful. And the reality is they had grabbed a bunch of masks, one of them being the clown mask. You know, whatever. Be, and they just said, okay, what are we going to do? Well, let's use the clown at this part and the other mask here. Okay. And that's the entire decision. It wasn't like this big, you know, planned, we're going to make this iconic mask. It's going to be this. It literally was just, what do we have? What's cheap? You know? Right. Um, yeah. Which is so funny because many people, again, the Myers mask is very famous now. But when you ask people to describe, you know, what, what like, who, who's a killer who wears a mask? They always say a hockey mask, right? Because it's Jason Voorhees, right? But even the, the hockey yes. mask isn't Jason Voorhees until three. I mean, there is there, there is no mask in one. Spoiler alert, it's his mom. So, right? And then two, he's wearing yes. the sack, which is just impossible because you would have no depth perception with one eye sticking out of a sack. Um, but the hockey mask, which is so famous, 
is not even consistent movie to movie either, you know? And no, so, but and, he, not, and none of them are. I mean, yeah. even, even, you know, if you look at not just the mask, but even like the makeups, like on mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger, his, his makeup is not consistent, you know, uh, um, film to film. And you, you try to do, you try to do something that's similar, that's in line, but you want to, first off, you want to try new techniques. Yeah. You want to do things that maybe you potentially are not as onerous on the, the guy who's got to wear them. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, in the case of like the appliances for, for Robert England or the mass for any of the, you know, Kane Hodder or any of their performers for these other killers. But, you know, there, there's going to be differences. You have different creative folks. You have different budgets, different amounts of time. You get different things. The the thing that that is always the the, the most important thing of the shape mask is exactly like they said in, in your synopsis. It's expressionless. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing there. It's the and the way that it is then shot by Carpenter is that it is just a face with no eyes, just two voids where the eyes should be, that it reflects outwardly the complete uh, disassociation that is internal to the shape, to Michael. You know, whether you believe Michael exists anymore or not, or whether he really is the boogeyman, there's nothing there. Yep. And Carpenter uses that several times very well through this where it's just a face mm-hmm. you know it's it's like jerry seinfeld used to joke it's like apparently the only qualification you need to drive a cab in new york is you need a face yeah right <laughs> so it's same, same same sort of principle right it's it's like it it, it is man-shaped it appears to be a man but it's not a man has something behind his eyes usually right and uh yeah so that it it's it is one of those things that again whether that was the, you know, um, however they came about it, it wor- ends up working so well that it informs the entire character, a character that is not even credited by a name. He's credited as the shape mm-hmm. because that's really all he is. He's just a shape in the darkness at that point. Uh, and it's it it all it, that I mean, that that spoke to me as a, at a very young age. I mean, just, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, again, peeling back the fourth wall a bit i first saw this on channel 11 wpix in new york and i've watched it probably at least at least 20 times on channel 11 over the years i wish i could find that copy like like somebody on internet archive whatever would have a tape of halloween from channel 11 right it'd be like one of those you know they that's the meme now core memory unlocked i guarantee it would be one of those for me but um you know but that that is the image that sticks with you from the immediate time that you that you first see it is mm-hmm. is the uh, seeing the mask. So yeah, so um, obviously Tommy Wallace was the one who went and got the masks off. Any you know he's had when they were doing it. The whole point was originally the the eye holes were too small, so they widened the eye holes. But they're widening eye holes, but so but you don't you're supposed to so so it make but he they had to keep it dark within. So you can see that he has eyes, but it's still. That it's like there's there you didn't want to give too much you didn't want Nick Castle to be able to you know act too much with his eyes through there right um so uh you know they again the sideburns were ripped off the hair was modified it was painted appliance white the eye holes were widened to give it kind of more of a hollow look um which has been used you know kind of thing because if they're too small it looks kind of squinty you know this made it nice and yeah. big and hollow and they looked like they were hollowed out so all right let's get back to right. the story here where are we here. Uh, well, so one oh, other sorry. thing, just from hold on, one thing from yeah. your uh, you talk about uh, Laurie Strode, and we see mm-hmm. Laurie dropping the key off at the Myers house because her dad's a realtor. Yep. Um, 
Okay, so Jamie Lee Curtis, the most modest teenager in the history of time. Yes. Um, I think she's got on about 17 different layers here. Now, admittedly, it's air quotes up to the mic October yes. in uh, Illinois. Yes. Um, you know, when you when you know the story that they're filming this and um, they're expecting there to be a lot of leaves to make it look like it's October, and there are no leaves, and yes. they had whatever few leaves they had were gathered up and used over and over. Uh-huh. Once you once you know that, you actually start recognizing the leaves yes. because the leaves all look it looks almost like okay we're making a video game and we've applied leaf texture because the leaves all look very uniform because they're the same leaves yeah. every single time. Um, but um, yeah, but I, I so you know again the Lori is is I love Lori Strode I I always have loved Lori Strode she's a fantastic character. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis does a great job, but yes, I mean, I, I mean, again, understand that I, you know, I'm, I'm about, uh, you know, I was about 15 to 20 years after this film, uh, as far as being a teenager, but I don't know any girls that ever dressed quite this modestly in yeah. high school. And I, we went to Catholic school. Yep. Yep. Uh, and one of those leaf wranglers and placers was a little actor that no one's ever heard of ever again. His name's Robert England, um, who was on the set. Uh, doing a favor for his friend, who they happened to be friends from out in California, because England had been out there doing smaller roles. He had done stuff in the 70s, playing, as he said, he goes, it's funny, I play a lot of Southerners, and I'm like, and he's a, he's a, he's a surfer, which is, think about that for a second. That, that just changes was that part four where where he's got the uh, where he's, the the the, uh, the glove turns into the shark on the beach and it's a surf kind of thing. Yeah, on the beach. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, Robert England was one of he was on set and he just for free he's like oh and he goes what do we do and he goes you got to get all the leaves so they he was one of the gatherers of leaves <laughs> I wish I was kidding um, but yes Freddy Krueger yeah, and Michael everybody Myers everybody starts and, somewhere right yeah. Yeah. so that's so even though we'll never see Freddy and Michael Myers in the same movie we almost saw Freddy and Michael Myers in the same movie on the same set nonetheless right. anyway uh, so yeah so okay so Lori notices uh, where are we here okay. Lori notices Michael staring, yep. stalking her throughout the day, but her friend Annie Brackett and Linda Van Der Kirk, Brander Clock, uh, dismiss Van her concerns. Van Der Klock. I never knew Linda's last name. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know it was her last name. Um, dismiss her concerns. Uh, so let's just stop there for a second. The, yep. the, oh boy. Um, poor uh, uh, Tommy. Um, Doyle is picked on mercifully, mercifully with the, by everybody. Yeah, because he's Laurie. Yeah. He needs a babysitter. Laurie's coming over. It's like it. The movie is just so innocent at this stuff. You see Laurie in school noticing that someone's watching her, and yet what happens? She's okay. distracted. About about Laurie in school. Let me say this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Understand that Laurie's the final girl. She's the heroine, but yeah. she's also kind of a monster. Because who takes notes in red pen? Yes. <laughs> what is that? I guarantee I mean, you that's what they had. God. That's what I, they had on set. That's, that's what they what just they had, had on set. Yeah. Just, yeah. She's probably taking notes on the back but of a you script also, anyway. You also, <laughs> yeah, you also know she's really smart because she's, she's you know, kind of only half paying attention, looking out the window at the, the, the car and stuff, and immediately knows the answer. Yeah, right. Right? Yeah. And she does say that. She says that later. And, well, boys think I'm too smart, you know? Yeah. 
And it's like, uh, yeah, I guess that I guess that doesn't happen anymore. Right. That's a, a relic from the 70s that's uh, gone forever. Never to rear its ugly head again. Right. right. Boys thinking some girls are too smart. But yeah. uh, so, never mind anyway. But <laughs> but even on their walk home, she goes, uh, you know, she forgot her chemistry book. And you hear what's it? Um, who is it? It's is it Linda says, I it's forget. Linda. Right. I forget yeah. my chemistry book and my math book and my history book. I forget all my books. And it's just like. I do oh. have to wonder how, how you know, how I can see, I can honestly see, and I kind of, I guess I'm explaining it away as I say it. I can see how Laurie and Annie are friends. And I can see how Annie and Linda are friends. You get the feeling that it's one of those that, you know, Annie's like the, the pivot of this whole thing. Yes, right? She's yeah, the access yeah. point for yeah. these two girls to be friends now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, give, I give PJ Souls credit. She plays a ditz really well um kind of thing uh you know and for those you who remember carrie uh she's in there as i was well. gonna say yeah she, she literally essentially the same character she does carrie. she does and if she doesn't get killed in carrie she could be the exact same person just moved you know post you know whatever because yeah. carrie kills them all totally. oh sorry yeah no. totally uh, just just for those of you who might not know yes the movie that's even older than than uh halloween and carrie she kills them all too uh kind of thing um carrie uh, although carrie I mean, is one of the carrie is one of the most um, educational and instructional films in the horror <laughs> genre and i I'm, i swear i'm not making this up you know i'm 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 always you know me i'm big on health and safety right so health and safety topic for the episode you know if you're in school and there's that quiet girl that everybody picks on be nice to her you know, don't be mean to her. If she's got psychic powers, she might spare you. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're being a jerk to her, she, she's probably going to trap you in a gym and burn you to death. Well, but she didn't spare. Right? Uh, she didn't spare uh, her teacher, spare who the was teacher, the one who was right. nice to her because she thought she was like, because she sees everyone laughing. At her. Well, we we can't start talking about Carrie. That'll be two hours on one of my literally my no, favorite, one of my favorite movies whole, of all time. Whole, yeah, I mean, yeah. literally, it's tattooed on my leg. Uh, so, uh, are we here? So Loomis arrives in Haddonfield. Well, and that's your oh. thing too. Well, that, yeah. well, that, well, that's your thing too. So, so Laurie sees yes. oh, the yeah. shape a bunch of times, right? Yeah. And he's always gone when anybody else goes to look, including the, the very, the very, uh, famous one of, she goes, she gets home, she goes upstairs, she looks out her window and sees him among the sheets on the clothesline. Right. And then looks again and he's gone. Yep. Now, this is another one that. Okay, when he's when he's in the car, when he's uh, hiding by the bushes, all those things, it's reasonable that he could be it could actually be the shape. And then he has moved away quickly mm -hmm. because he is so, you know, whether you believe him to be, you know, just have the, the strength of insanity or whether he's supernatural or whatever. That one, she never takes her eyes off of it. Right. So that one to me can't be real. Right. That's her imagination. To the fact that she even tells herself that she needs to calm down when she lays down on her bed afterwards. Right. So, again, it's already playing with the idea of that he's the boogeyman, right? That that he's this this figure, this menacing, mysterious figure that that she's seeing, whether, you know, whether. And so now it's like, OK, she just kind of the idea is, OK, in her head, she now is starting to think, OK, I was just imagining it. I'm just caught up or whatever. Right. The as a, as a side note. Uh, I think it was Funny or Die did a great series of those, of the uh, deleted scenes, air quotes up to the mic oh, of those. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Like yeah. there's one where he's got he's pointing to Judas tombstone and pointing at her. Yeah. Or you know Jason shows up or one where they're both swinging on the swing set. You know yeah. and the, the, those are you know that didn't make it into the final cut unfortunately. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> and it's you know it's hard to believe for a movie that was made on such a low budget there is actually a TV version which has you know additional scenes but they weren't the cut yes. scenes they were made for the TV no. movie. <laughs> Or a TV version, I which is my, and my favorite, and, and the yeah, my my favorite of which is, I think it's Annie calls uh, Lori when Lori's gotten out of the shower and she's right. wearing, you know, the the she's got her hair up in a towel. Yeah, because it's different. And the reason is because right because well it's because her hair is different because she was shooting another movie. Yeah, and she didn't have long hair anymore. <laughs> Well, that's, that's, I put her hair in a towel. All girls do that. All girls put their hair in towels. That's okay. Yeah, well, that's that's why in Halloween too, she has a wig on, and once you know she's wearing a wig, yes. you can't unsee the wig because can't her, unsee it. Yeah, nope. her hair is completely a different length, and she's also clearly aged in the ten minute drive to the hospital. Um, so. You know, got everything. It was, done. it was a harrowing night. Yeah. You know. Yeah, so. I mean, look at. I mean, Doctor. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Donald Pleasance. I think is one of those guys. He was born at like forty, right? Yeah, right so right, I mean, yeah. he, he looks the same. Uh, <laughs> all right, where are we here? Okay, so Loomis arrives in Haddonfield and finds Judith's tombstone missing from the cemetery, furthering Loomis's suspicion that Michael is in Haddonfield. He meets Annie, Annie's father, uh, Sheriff Lee Brackett. And they investigate uh, Michael's house where they find a dead, partially eaten dog in the house. Now, he at no other point in the series does he ever eat anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I, I mean, you don't see like, oh, he's he's been chewing on this guy. Like, I, I, I don't know why they had to have the dog be partially eaten. You know? Yeah. And it's it it doesn't it's it doesn't come back. I, yeah. But you know, again, it may just be as simple as they say. Oh, he must have gotten hungry. Yeah. Right. So it does again suggest again that there's different things that suggest different aspects of the character. This one suggests that he's more of a man. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just weird uh, though than, that, like, than the other ones. Would... Yeah. I'm just saying it's just weird. Yeah. Well, I do like also not, sheriff. Yeah. I do like also sheriff. It's not, yeah, it's right. It, it doesn't come up ever right, again. Right. He does kill several dogs throughout yes. the series. He'll yes. kill another one in this movie. Yeah. And uh, I always remember uh, watching Halloween 4, my friend Gerard, when we were in, uh, uh, you know, I think the fourth grade, and he was mad that they killed the dog. And it's like, yep, that's right. All the other human detritus, you know, just, you know, just stacking them up like cordwood in that movie. But the dog, no, can't can't do that. Yeah. Um, I do like also that Sheriff Brackett. I, I do like Sheriff Brackett. Um, the whole funny bit with uh, Annie and uh, Lori smoking the joint, and then they see her dad, and she starts freaking out, and they're all like, "Oh, she do, do, we do." Um, but his suggests, well, it could have been a skunk, right? Because you know, skunks are known for you know being vicious brutes that will attack dogs and eat them. Um, uh... And then Luma's kind of, yeah, it could have been a skunk, yes, you know. <laughs> um... Yeah, well, but this is where we get the uh, yeah, I mean, this, this whole and and it, it's coming up next in the in the uh, the synopsis, so I won't get to it. But this this scene with Loomis and uh, and 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 Sheriff Brackett, you know, it's like they these are the main people that Loomis interacts with. Yep. In this movie is yep. Brackett, right? Yep. He doesn't really hardly interact with anybody else. So you got the two oldest characters really in the film kind of hanging out. What's what's interesting is when we first when he first talks to Sheriff Brackett, it's at the hardware store 
where they, you know, talking to Annie and Lori about the break-in. So we see Michael driving in the station wagon a couple yep. of times. Yep. And now that I have this film on Blu-ray, he's wearing the mask while he's driving. Yep. Which is fantastic. Yep. I love that. Yep. I love that he's like, you know, he's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to the gimmick at this point. Yeah, we're wearing the mask. That's why the eye holes like, are bigger. You probably didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly, right? You know, you hit, you hit a couple of, you hit a couple of parked cars and trash cans. You're like, hey, buddy, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's like Frank Drebin driving the car. But the, um, it, it's one of those things. It's like he didn't, you know, he didn't have to wear. Yeah. The mask, because there's no way that you would have been able to see that with that definition on the film. But now, in the yeah, advent can. of high definition technology, yeah. you absolutely can. And I love that you can. Yeah. I really do. So that's the always we talk about this. Dad and I talk, I talk with Dad about this, too. I was like, it's like when you first see The Hills Have Eyes, you can watch an old grainy VHS. They're like, huh, there's just people talking in the dark here. Then you watch the Blu-ray. Like, oh, oh, there's actually people in this scene. And then you watch the 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 thing. Watch the blue the DVD. You can see there's people. Then you watch the Blu-ray. Like, oh, I can see what the people look like. You know, kind of thing. Like, yeah. it just keeps getting cleaner and cleaner. Um, and and Halloween right. again. You know, there's so many copies of this thing with floating around that uh, um, depending on which copy you were watching or a TV copy or how big your TV was, uh, you couldn't see anything. It didn't matter what we, he literally could be. You know, could be Ronald McDonald driving the car. Anyway, where are we here? Uh, okay, Loomis tells Brackett that uh, in that in the 15 years since he's known Michael, he has come to believe that he is pure evil. Uh, Brackett is doubtful of the danger, but goes to uh, goes to patrol the streets while Loomis waits at the house, expecting Michael's return. So he is. Yeah. So this is uh, this this is the monologue I was talking about, where he talks about the whole thing about. You know, staring at the wall, staring through the wall, staring, you know, looking at forward to this day and all that. Yeah. And, you know, again, Donald Pleasance is he's a character actor. He's been in all sorts of schlock. I mean, he's in Warrior of the Lost World, for crying out loud. Yes, he is. Um, and he's fantastic in Warrior of the Lost World. And he's fantastic in a lot of things, because even when he's doing a genre role like this, he takes it seriously. Whether yeah. he takes it seriously when the cameras have stopped rolling, I don't know. Uh, Mr. Pleasance is no longer with us. I can't ask him. But when the cameras are rolling, it is absolute conviction in what he's doing. So he is so authentic as Dr. Loomis that you can't help but be caught up in kind of his mindset, his mentality about Michael. And when he talks about that, you know, the, the, uh, the, his experience as his doctor – it sells it, right? And you, you now you're believing this, right? Because now everything that Michael does, you're remembering all the things that Loomis said about him. Yeah, yeah. And and the other thing is too, um, he has to be. So if you had an whoever, but if it wasn't Donald Pleasant, if it was another actor, and they weren't taking the role completely seriously, and tri you just it would ruin, it would take you out of the movie. Like he's committed 100 percent that this person is literally the embodiment of evil and he's going to do everything in his power to stop him. And that conviction and that, that, what do you call it? That, I mean, that, that, that drive is literally what you're, why you're like, okay, I, you got to believe him. I mean, it, the sheriff doesn't want to believe him at all. And he's just like, wow, this guy seems pretty committed though. I mean, he's pretty committed that this guy's got a problem. We got to get, get him. So, um, right. but yeah. yeah. So, uh, where are we here? Um, okay. 
Uh, that evening, Lori babysits Tommy Doyle, um, who, a young Tommy Doyle here, not the older Tommy Doyle we would later see, while Annie is babysitting yes. Lindsay Wallace. Because, you know, why not? Tommy Doyle, Lindsay Wallace. I'm not saying Tommy Wallace was, you know, worked on this movie, but he did. Um, <laughs> across the street. Uh, Michael follows them, spying on Annie and killing the Wallace's dog. Okay, so Annie is oh what a mess she is um she's trying to make yeah, popcorn any kind of is yeah she kind of is the hot mess in 1978 i got butter all over myself i'm like man there's pornos that start that way too i'm just saying so yeah uh, but yeah she's a mess she's gonna now take off all her clothes to go run a load of wash okay like I don't know, man. I, I mean, I was, this is October. I'm what, like, like a few months old at this point. So I don't remember 1978 at all, but like, is this what things were right. like back then? Because dang, you know, cause as a, when we were teenagers, that stuff didn't happen. Just at least didn't happen to us. Right. I'm but, just, yeah, in know. the interest of fairness, I, I didn't know any girls that spilled butter all over themselves either. So I don't, you know, I can't, can't, can't correlate one to one. Yeah. But I but did yeah, a lot of babysitting. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I did I a know, lot of babysitting, I and I never spilled butter all over myself. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> right. I mean, the thing is, is that you know, you get you get the idea here that Lori is Lori is the better babysitter. Yes. Obviously, <laughs> and she's also, but she's not. And Lori's fun. She's got all the stuff that she wants to do with Tommy. And Tommy, and obviously, she regularly must babysit for the Doyles because her and Tommy have a good rapport. And obviously, Annie babysits for the Wallaces a lot, but you get the idea that Annie's more of the cool babysitter, right? That's, you know, yeah, that sort yeah. of situation. Right. And Lindsay is just, Lindsay's like, yeah, whatever. She doesn't really care that, you know, uh, whether whether Annie's on the phone with with Lori or on the phone with Bob or, or whatever. As long as she gets to watch, you know, the thing from another world and Forbidden Planet, she seems pretty pretty okay for yeah. the most part during the time at her house, right? So Annie's stripping down to do that. You get the feeling that at some point something else has come up and, and Mrs. Wallace probably said, oh, hon, if you ever if you ever need to, you know, do watch or something, you go right ahead type of thing. Yeah. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, because she didn't but even I, like yeah, slow down. It's like, just like off. You know, I was like, you know, yeah. I mean, this movie does have and I do a pair also, of. She yells for. She, go ahead. I was just saying this movie does have a pair of breasts within the first 10 minutes. Um, you know, you don't, it's hard to see him through the mask. Because that's Judas, as he, uh, Judas right. as he's stabbing her. But I'm just saying is this movie's right. not afraid to show you the female form. So uh, you know, right. kinda... although you don't really, although when she strips down, you see her from the back. So right. you see her, and she doesn't take her her underwear off. So you see her in you see her bare back. I understand, but and, you know what I'm saying is like no, but I'm saying so specific. Yeah. But I'm saying specifically in the yes. context it's not of Nancy news. Lewis. Yes, yeah, you know, right. No, but yeah. I mean, but that you know, we do we we will with PJ Souls later on. Yeah, but. It's and see, so here's the thing also. Now I throw this out to any Midwestern listeners. Okay, I know we got some some folks in the Midwest. Is it normal to have your laundry in a detached room like this? <laughs> I've never seen a house where you've no. got to walk across the yard to a little shed to get to the laundry. Now, in all fairness, though, this is this was supposed to be Illinois, but it's really California. So, any of our West Coast listeners, do you have a detached? I was <laughs> 
because that's more yeah, like I'm just going to say I'm going I'm, I'm going to speak for the entire East Coast as someone who grew up in New York and lives in South Carolina. We don't do that in the East Coast. So yeah, that's, we don't that's, that's something. Yeah. yeah. We just put our, we just detach our garages. That's yeah. The oh yeah. yeah we yeah. do our garages. And down here we call it, it's really just a big shed. We call it an outbuilding. Yep. Okay. We've got an outbuilding on the property. It's like, you've got a shed, dude. Yeah. You have like half an acre. No, it's an outbuilding. It's like, okay. But you're right. And, and again, it's, it's almost, it's almost comical. Yeah. You know, her getting, stuck the door getting stuck or getting stuck in the window you know and bob calling Lindsay answering the phone and then her running to within 20 feet to yell bob called and running back in another oh, context it's paul her paul, boyfriend not paul bob bob's uh called yeah bob is, is, uh, is, is linda's boyfriend. boyfriend yeah paul called i love that which means obviously you know again paul must call a lot <laughs> Because I mean, she and she and Paul are on a first name basis, yeah. right? So, <laughs> right. Not just that, but she's like, ugh, you know, like she's so tired of Paul. <laughs> it's just Paul. Ugh, it's not Ben Tramer who's dreamy. So you know, oh, Ben Tramer. Oh, ben Tramer. So, um, uh, where are we here? Oh, Never get to see Ben. You do, but he's got a mask on. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh yeah, I mean in this one we don't see Ben Tramer, that poor yeah. Tramer boy. You, know. yeah. you ever notice that they never really follow up on that? Nope. Just kill him. They, just the police kill him. Just shoot a kid. Cold boy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The anyway, who who can't who can't be topical, right? The but, best is they make know. they make the, the the Paul Tramer mask, like that mask with the with the with the wrong color hair. But that's the thing is, as if that mask was a popular enough mask to have two different hairstyles. But that mask is is made, and that thing runs over a hundred bucks. I'm like, it literally looks like. I mean, I'm not. I'm again. I understand some people make that mask, or whatever. But like, dude, are you kidding me? Trick or Treat Studios put that yeah. mask out, and people buy it, and then are like, and the review. Read the reviews. The hair's the wrong color. No, you moron. You right. bought the wrong mask. Like it you literally says Ben Tramer mask. It doesn't say Michael Myers. I mean, so that means you don't even know who the character's name is. Well, I thought Ben Tramer was right. the guy who played right. him. I did. I had never seen the movie. <laughs> Friggin' hey. Anyway, oh my God. So where were we? Oh yeah. So she's stuck in the window. I mean, the best is when she gets her out of the window, and she's like, "How'd you get there? I'm stuck. We know you're stuck. Thanks, Annie." Right. But the best part was Linda, I mean, um, um, uh, glory. Lindsay doesn't even bat an eye getting her out of the window. Just like thumb in the butthole. No. Get out, girl. Let's go. You know, <laughs> you know she's like, oh, you got I mean, again, obviously, you know that there's there's yeah, Annie and Lindsay have had some some uh, some scrapes. Let's just leave it at that or over some, the years of hijinks. her babysitting for this there, girl. There's right. been some hijinks at times. Hijinks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some top oh. flurry. Yeah, <laughs> good gravy. Uh, where are we? Um, so okay, so Tommy sees Michael from the window and he thinks it's the boogeyman. In fact, he's dead set it's the boogeyman, but Lori does not believe him. So so Lori, who has been seeing him all day long, now is like, listen, kid, enough of this. He ain't there. Yeah. You know, but because... she, but but she's also convinced herself that it's just yeah. something in her head. Yeah. Right. So right. that that makes sense that Lori's trying to do that. She's trying to keep, you know, keep Tommy uh, uh, on the on the straight and narrow. Right. I love right. her criticism of Tommy's comics. Yes. 
which, um, you know, I think we've all been there. Although, who doesn't like a good issue of Laser Man? Laser you know, Man? Like, Laser like, Man. Laser Man. Like, so, <laughs> oh, so, like, dismissive. But, you know, because she doesn't read well, when comic you're books. As well, when you're as well-read as Laurie Strode, yeah. she doesn't read comics, <laughs> right? Right. So, right. She's not lowering uh, her. She's reading him King Arthur. Yeah. Which is funny. You know. I thought you liked this. I like yeah. these better. Mom doesn't like me having them. Oh, where are Why are they under the couch? Yeah. They're next to dad's magazines so under the couch this... kind of thing, you know? It's like, Mom doesn't yeah, like these either. Right. You know, it's like, oh. Right. So the thing about this is now that Annie is in the Doyle house, excuse me, Annie is in the Wallace house, yeah. and Lori is in the Doyle house, we see numerous shots looking back and forth between the houses and the streets. And so we get a very real and definite sense of the spatial relations between these two houses. Right. Right. And this is crucially important. And I'm not just not just doing, you know, uh, film class nerd crap here. It is crucially important that we as the audience know and understand where these houses are in relation to each other and how far away they are from each other. Right. Because that distance is a very important plot point. And so the way that and Carpenter is very set in his ways, he blocks the shots the same way. Every time that Laurie is looking over at the Wallace house, it's the same setup. It's the same way the shot is blocked out so that we know where the things are in the houses. A lot of the shots are blocked the same way. Now, part of this is because they're actual houses that they're filming in. Yes. But part of this is also we now understand where the rooms are. Yes. Where how the house is laid out. So th- again, these are things that we're gonna are gonna maybe they're gonna be important in the last reel. Yeah. You know? Right. So giving us visual information, it's a lot of showing, not telling, so that we understand where and uh, into what relation all these items are is going to become very important, and especially in the next segment when people start moving back and forth. Right. Right. Yeah. So. So. Uh, okay. Uh, Annie later takes Lindsay over to the Doyle house to spend the night so she can pick up her boyfriend, Paul. When she gets into her car, Michael appears in the backseat and strangles her, uh, which, of course, yep. you know, would be you would see that again in Halloween, too, and things like that. It comes up in other places as well. Uh, it's we uh, it's a very kind of visceral thing that we always think of Michael with the kitchen knife, yeah. but he kills Annie by just strangling her with, you know. And then he reaches up and cuts her throat because yep. she's she keeps fighting. Yeah. Right. And it's something that in a, you know, a, a seminal slasher film and slasher films are often criticized for how they treat and rightly so for how yeah. they treat, you know, women and, and uh, you know, teen girls and such. Annie's not going down without a fight. Now, she has no leverage whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, but you you and you know it's not it's it's not like the context now where it's like oh she's a police chief's daughter she'd have self defense training no that wasn't a thing in the late seventies right that that didn't exist yeah so but but she is she is doing she is not just meekly giving in she is fighting for all she's worth until Michael cuts her throat at which point yeah it it from the angle it's it's her carotid artery and it's right. like well you know thanks for playing you know yeah. nice to know you uh, Annie Brackett but. yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's no parting gifts for you. Uh, you, you aren't you aren't yeah, getting you don't out. get a copy of the home game. Yeah. <laughs> um, unlike unlike Annie in. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Unlike Annie in the Rob Zombie version, you ain't making it out alive. But again, you also aren't Danielle Harris. Yeah. No offense, Nancy Lewis. Um, you know, and let's face it. You know, when you when you when you put Danielle Harris in the Rob Zombie Halloween version, 
you know she's yeah. probably not dying at the end because they're wanting to bring her back. Plus, she also see it coming. Yeah. Anyway, so, but that's all references to later right. on movies. Well, you know, but, but you know, I don't think it's appropriate that Rob Zombie casts his wife in every movie that he makes, you know, so. <laughs> well, I, I know this. Rob Zombie's wife works for a lot cheaper than other actresses do because she's in the, she's also the executive producer on half of them. Anyway. So I, I got I got nothing but love but Sherry Moon Zombie. Oh, yeah. Nothing but love Sherry Moon Zombie. So love her. She's Dad, fantastic. Dad and I did Dad and I uh, are doing um House Thousand Corpses, twenty years old. And I haven't seen House Thousand yeah. Dad and I saw it in the theater, right? And I we, I watched House Thousand Corpses, the brand new uh special edition, you know, and the movie's super clean anyway. And I'm watching yeah. this for the like critically watching it, kinda of like you know, like watching it with a critical eye, and I'm like, Man, I forgot how freaking violent and like you know, mean spirited that movie is, and yeah. and Sherry Moon Zombie at the time is just a no. You don't know who she is. She's just a you know good looking woman, right kind of thing, and how evil and mean she is. And you're like, wow. Now you see Sherry Moon Zombie, and if she's not evil and mean, you're like, wait, what's wrong with her? Like that's who she is. Not not right. as a person, but like in every movie she no, plays as, these as horrific character, right? characters, yeah. right? And at I that mean, point, she, she was she was the girl from the Dragula video was yes, what most of us knew her yes, from at that point. That's where right? she is. So. Yeah. <laughs> and unlike Tony Katan in the White Snake video, there's no witch board this time. Anyway, so. Um, no. <laughs> oh, one thing I do want to say. Great. Yeah. One thing I do want to say. So after um, uh, Annie drops Lindsay off with Lori. Yeah. And, you know, and she says, well, you know, if you want her, I'll think about calling Ben Tramer. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, then, then Tommy scares Lindsay, and the kids are yelling at each other, and um, and she says, Lori says, I'm not about to let anything happen to you, right, right, yeah. which is like that. That's kind of Lori Strode in one line, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, if if um, if uh, Ellen Ripley is, you know, get away from her, you bitch. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is kind of Lori Strode's character defining yeah. line of dialogue. So. <laughs> Think about that, because because Alien doesn't come out until what seventy nine, right? Yeah, Alien is seventy nine. Seventy nine. Yeah. So that's after this, right? And and let's let's right. let's call a spade a spade. Ripley in Alien is not Ripley from Aliens. Not like the the no, level no, of badass that she becomes in Aliens is next level, right? The same way oh, Sa- yeah. the same way Sarah Connor. Again, we're talking about all kinds of movies, folks. But it's same like Sarah Connor is, you know, she's she's just the scared person, and then she like has to be put in a situation. But Sarah Connor in the Terminator, the original, is not Sarah Connor from Terminator yeah. Two, right? Like, like oh it, right, you yeah. know, it's, we we see we see kind of the birth of Sarah Connor from yeah. Terminator Two in the last reel of Terminator right. in the factory, right? You know, but no, but it's clear that she has now been changed, you know, irrevocably from that. Yeah. It's funny that we mention Laurie Strode, Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor, because when a when a, a certain female led superhero movie came out a few years ago, um, I and, and many other folks who are not interested in this character were told, well, you just don't like female heroes. You don't like strong women characters. And I said, well, what about. I said those exact three characters. What yeah. about like Laurie Strode, Nellen Ripley, and Sarah Connor? They don't count. They're not the right ones. Oh, okay, cool. Got it. You're yeah. you're insane. Understood. Yeah. Let's move on, shall they we? They literally, you know? they literally, <laughs> for so many, not just not just young, you know, young girls or women or whatever you want to say, 
those three characters were so definitive by way of like right. like the the take no prisoners to they, they don't need any man coming again as many Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, and Sylvester Stallone actioners that exist, and I love all those movies. I do. I love those movies. Right? When when you talk yes. about the the last action hero, right? No, not not the movie, the last action hero, but finding in search right. of the last action hero. You cannot make a list of action heroes that include that doesn't include Ellen Ripley, Sarah Connor, and yeah. I mean I know Laurie Strode doesn't get put on there often, but she should be on there too. Like, you, like those oh, are especially when you can consider when you consider the sequels. Yeah, right. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like when you look at that and people, especially, who... especially the Bloomhouse sequels. You oh know, my especially god, especially yes. the Bloomhouse. Yes, sequels. good gravy. Yeah, she is just basically just like she's like you know Fast and Furiousing like all that stuff up. Like let's get to get guns out of everywhere. Like how do you have guns inside your butcher block? Oh, I got them. You know, kind of thing. Where'd you pull that gun out of? You don't want to know. Um, you know, kind of thing. Um, but like. <laughs> But that's what I'm saying is like people who like, well, you know, it's got to be Dutch or it's got to be Rambo. It's got to be, you know, Matrix. It's got to uh, Matrix as in uh, the guy from Commando, not the movie, The Matrix. Sorry. Yeah. People won't understand. Right. Kind of thing. It's got to be like, but if you don't include Ellen Ripley in that in that thing, you're, you're not then the list. Your list is never going to be complete. People like, oh, what's well, John, like John yeah. McClane, like John McClane never exists. I mean, remember, Die Hard's, what, 88? The original Die Hard, I think, 80, right? 88? Yeah, 88, and, 88, 89. It's the same there, year yeah. as Big, because we saw them together. Um, yes. Kind of thing. So, so, But by 88, you already have Aliens, you know, kind of thing. Like, Ellen Ripley, yeah. like, what was it? it became, I mean, that they were taking the guy from Moonlighting and making him an action hero. No one thought of, I mean, nowadays, people like, well, how Bruce Willis is a hero. Like, Bruce Willis was the guy from Moonlighting, right? He was the guy who right. could, can't really sing. No offense, Bruce. You know, kind of thing. Because I know you're listening. Um, you know, kind of thing. Like, but that's what it, it's like. You know, it's just kind of crazy to think that that's, you know, kind of like they look at it like, oh, here are all these heroes. But when you when you actually look at that stuff, you cannot, you know, uh, discount what happens here. We see Laurie, you know, here. And again, in, in in a few scenes, start becoming the Laurie Strode, not quite to the extent she is now in in the way the new the new trilogy has her, where she literally right. is like just you know, kind of certifiably insane. Um, but like you start seeing it, like she does. She's not she's not going to just you know, oh I'm going to die. In fact, except for Linda, does any of the female? I mean, like Annie fights back. You know, I mean, Linda think because Linda thinks it's Bob. That's why, you know, kind of thing. That's well, why. That's yeah. Well, and, and we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get yeah, we'll get right. to that. But yeah, I'm we'll saying is, that. but that, but the female characters here, it's not like they just oh, I died. In fact, the guys die way easier. You know, kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. The right. only, the only, the one who, the one who goes, the one who goes down, you know, without without much of a fight, is Bob. Yeah. Well, you know, poor Bob. <laughs> so, um, and he should have. Bob should have seen it coming. He had his glasses on and everything. Yeah. Uh, anyway, where are we here? All right, so okay, um, so okay, uh, when he when she gets a choke, sir, yeah. Soon after, Linda and her boyfriend Bob arrive at the Wallace house to find it empty. After having sex, Bob goes downstairs to get a beer. When Michael kills him by pinning him to the wall with the kitchen knife, 
which is hysterical uh, because he's just oh, like right against the wall. And then Michael turns his head like a dog, like yeah. just kind of looking at him. I'm like, his head like a dog. Yeah. It, he doesn't, you know, so the whole thing. So, you know, you've got Linda totally. Right. Totally. And then you've got Bob. Yeah. Can you say anything else? Yeah. <laughs> but you're getting me a beer. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, these two are perfect for each other, <laughs> you know, because they're both dumb as bricks. Yeah. But so I loved Bob, you know, besides the fact that now they had beer. Yeah. Because in Bob's, you know, shagging wagon that they drive up in in his van, shout out to the grind bin for the van. You know, how do Bobby and DeVito fit in the world of uh, John Carpenter's uh, Halloween? I think uh, that the straight arrow got stolen by Bob. But anyway, um, they, they when she when uh, Linda opens the door, you hear all the beer cans fall out. Yeah. So obviously they've got beer. No, he goes and takes, uh, you know, the Wallace's beer. Well, you know, I takes two of them. You know, pulls the tops off of them, you know. I'm just saying, I, th- I think, I think as we said, the Wallace's kind of are like, look, we know we're hiring Annie. We can't get Lori tonight, so we'll get Annie. And there might be a few beers yeah, maybe- missing. There might be some butter spilled on clothes. Lindsay might be you know, left in her room, traumatized by all the weird monkey noises coming out of the house. Who knows, you know, so... Kind of makes you wonder what kind of what kind of party the uh, the Wallaces are at, doesn't it? You well, know? the Wallaces are at the same party that Doyles are at. That's what I'm saying. They're all at the same party. That's that's what's established right, later. But all saying, these people there, is, are at literally the same party. <laughs> so is there like a big bowl where you put your keys when you come in? That type of thing, you know? Hey, you know, it's Halloween. Hey. Everyone's wearing it's a Halloween. Costume. You know, you never know. Everybody who you're gets going to with. act out a little bit, right? Yeah, but like like, like <laughs> witches' night out would teach us, you know, like. You can be whoever you want on Halloween. Um, exactly right. You know, sinners can uh, be saints. Shout and out so to Gilda Radner. But nobody. Yeah. So, but he, but you know, but Bob goes and he thinks that somebody's playing a trick on him. All right. And he goes to open the pantry, and Michael, bam, comes out with the yeah. stinger on the soundtrack and grabs him, which is one of the best. That that is fantastic. Yep. To me, it's a that that is possibly the best jump scare in cinematic history because at that point. We know because the door was ajar, yeah. but we don't know where anything's coming. And it's like you do. You go down into the kitchen at night. You're not going to turn all the lights on because somehow if you find your, your snack that you want with only the light from the refrigerator, it doesn't count, right? If you turn the lights on, now you're in the kitchen at 2 in the morning, right? Uh, here, not so much. And so he's, it's, it's dark. It's shadowy. We all kind of know that look, right, when you're downstairs without the lights on. And then, bam, grabs him. He struggles a little bit, but, you know, Michael's not interested in him, right? right? It, my, he's, not, he's not a surrogate for Judith, so he's just dispatching him. To me, him killing Bob and kind of looking at him a little cockeyed is no different than him killing Lester the dog. Yeah. This is an obstacle that has to be removed. Right. He's not particularly interested in that, like he is interested in the girls. Right, right, right. Yeah, so... Yeah, and the other thing too is remember, you know, Michael never kills the boyfriend who sleeps with Judith. He that guy, you know, has the quickest quickie of all quickies, and is out the front door. And I mean, he, on... yeah. he's out. He's out the door. Car is started. You know, he's go. like, gotta get to the next house. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, they don't call me the two minute man yeah. for nothing. Um, <laughs> that's god awful. Dude uh, doesn't even get a name. You yeah. know that, right? Yeah. He's just boyfriend. That's yeah, what he's, boyfriend. you know, it's like, I have a name. It's like, no, you don't. 
boyfriend. Get the hell out of here, you know. What's your name? Guy. Okay, Guy. <laughs> guy. <laughs> Gotta love a, a good good uh, Galaxy Quest reference. Um, where are we here? So, Mike... Uh, da, 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 da. Michael then poses as Bob in the ghost costume, including the glasses, uh, and confronts yes. Linda, who shows him, shows him her cash and prizes up front there, and he doesn't seem too interested, so she seems yep. very annoyed and is going to call Lori to find out what's happening to Annie. I'm going to call Lori and find out what happened to Annie. And I love that, like, literally the phone rings and you see she just sat down and she goes, uh, like, you know, if, if J.B. Lee Curtis wasn't 40 years old in this movie, like, you could, she's not really 40 in the movie, but she looks like, she's like, oh, God, the phone again. And I just, I just cleaned all the guts yeah, out yeah. of the pumpkin. I got time for this. You know, kind of thing. Right. I, yeah. So, yeah. With, with her so giant this, again, apron. Yes, with the big apron. Um. So this is, you know, he's, he's, uh, th- th- it's weird because this again is something that would suggest that Michael is, is mortal, right? Yeah. That he's playing a trick to sneak into the room. Yeah. Why would something that's supernatural need to do that? Except it's Halloween. And so everybody's entitled to a good scare, right? And you can be whoever you want. So now he's a ghost. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, uh, it, it's. You, you do wonder, is this, again, I was wearing a costume when I killed Judith. Right. Yeah. Do I need to wear a costume when I kill this air quotes up to the mic, Judith? Yeah. Right. Right? Right. So, and it's and it's great, too, because, again, like I just said, we always think about Michael with the knife. Here he is killing a girl by strangling her. Yep. Right? With, with, with a phone, phone cord. cord. You know, which is, uh, <laughs> nowadays, you don't got to worry about that so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, what do you kill her with? I don't know, her... You can't even kill her with like her her headphones. They don't even have that wire anymore. What happened? Well, like, yeah. you know, I mean, like, there's got to be a cord somewhere. He's just like, he's just dragging around the house looking for well, a cord. You know, this... Everything's wireless. He's like, oh man, I'm going to kill this woman. And... Yeah, there's, uh, but yeah. So and and Lori, you know, oh, I first I get your chewing, now I get your famous moaning, you know, yes. or no, squealing. Yeah. Just, I get your famous squealing, and you know, and Lori just you know just kind of lets it go, right? Um, but she's concerned, obviously, because obviously, you know, weird stuff's happening mm-hmm. and, you know, there's no lights on or anything, but that could be okay considering what the plan was. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, now you've got, you know, it's, it's, it's not a huge body count in this movie. It, uh, it's, it's kind of like text streams of massacre in that sense. Right. And that it has a reputation for having a bit more gore in it than there is. But again, choking someone doesn't require a lot of special effects yep exactly you know, just like stabbing bob to the wall in darkness you don't yeah. really need to see that much gore right to right. stab the guy to a wall when it's all in shadow mm-hmm. so uh right after that loomis finds the car the stolen car and starts searching the streets uh this is now before right before now right before that i do want to say i want to call out this yeah. we've talked about the bloom house um uh trilogy a mm-hmm. few times the character of lonnie Lonnie, uh, who Lonnie, who is the kid that is being dared to go up to the Myers house. Lonnie will, of course, come back yep. in the in those in those films, which I was a great touch for me as a longtime fan of the characters that come back um, because, uh, you know, uh, Nurse Marion also comes back and in uh, in the second one of that trilogy, I believe. Yep. Um, so and then Luma says, hey, get the hell out of here. And the kids all run away. 
the little smug smile that Dr. Loomis yeah, had. The little like, yeah, I showed them. Yeah, I got those kids. <laughs> those kids. Nailed them. Got Nailed them. <laughs> so, uh, suspicious of the phone call, Lori goes to the Wallace house and finds her friend's bodies, as well as Judith's headstone in the upstairs bedroom. And, of course, we have the famous, yep. like, she goes, that's very famous scene of, uh, of um, Linda laid out in the bed with the tombstone over her. Um, you know, yeah. that's been ripped well, it's off. An, it's and, Annie. It's oh, Annie laid out on the bed. Annie's in the... Annie is laid out in the bed, and then Bob falls down from the doorway, and then it's Linda stuffed into the wardrobe. Right. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but then that scene But, yes, has that been... image of... That image of yeah of Annie laid out like a um like she's laying in rest yeah with the tombstone is again to me it's again one of the most visually arresting images because obviously this is something that is I don't I don't want to say fetishistic but certainly ritualistic yeah for for Michael right for the yeah. shape whatever exists at his time he does this. Now, part of this is he's doing it because he wants, you know, he's still trying to trick the other the other girl there. But to lay out Annie like that with the tombstone, it's something's going on there and we don't know what the hell it is. Yeah. Right. That's all I could say with that. And it's never explained. No. Like, it's never explained deeper than that. Like, you know, it's not like, you know, because the tombstone wasn't there when he killed his sister. But now it's his sister's tombstone and now she's the surrogate for it. But he's now killed two different women to be it's these things aren't explained. And that's, I think, what makes this movie no. work so well. You don't need it explained. You're just like, OK, this is just what it is. Sometimes movies like to um, over explain things for no reason. And then sometimes yes. movies think that they're really smart and will signpost it and they'll never see it coming. Ugh. It's like, yeah. ugh. That's hereditarily wrong. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, don't watch Hereditary. It sucks. Anyway, so, okay, so she goes, okay, so she flees to the hallway in distress as Michael appears and slashes her arm, causing her to fall over the stair, the stairway banister. Okay, so he comes out of the shadow, and you're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, is this the best shot in the film? Of Lori against the 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 hallway wall mm -hmm. in a in a in a panic, and just slowly out of the darkness, the face of the shape comes into focus. So here's and it's like, oh my damn. Yeah. So you here's know? the here's the difference between watching this back in the day on v on a small TV with the VHS or the whatever. Every iteration of this that got cleaner and cleaner and cleaner, you can see him phasing in earlier, right? When you watch it when it's like the old one it's just like you can't see him because it's and it's, it's phasing in but it's, it's kind of grainy right as this thing becomes crystal clear now on blu-ray you're like wow i can totally see him stepping forward you literally see nick castle coming forward and it makes it even harder because you know it's coming but she doesn't hear it you know it's right. the old hitchcock thing you know like i'll tell you about the bomb and then talk about baseball for 20 minutes and you're like wait wait what about the bomb you know, kind of thing. it's literally the scene from the birds where they're we're watching the gasoline get closer to the guy. He's going to drop the don't drop the match. Yeah. Don't drop the match. But he drops the match and then it blows up. And you're like, but right. I, you're yelling about it. So but I'm sure in the theaters that definitely sprung everybody. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. So and then so then he slashes her and 
slashes her in the arm and she falls over the banister and we get her point of view. So who are the two characters we get POV shots from this movie? Yeah. It's Michael and Lori. Yeah. Right? right. So they are to me, and we'll see another example of this in, in, in the very next scene. They are intrinsically linked. They're a, they're a match set, right? They go together for whatever reason. Yep. Right now, obviously here, it's never explained. If you believe the certain continuities, it's because it's his, it's his, his younger sister, but they, you know, visually Carpenter ties these two characters together. Now, again, part of it is it would be really hard if we had to throw a stunt woman over a flight of, over a flight of stairs like this. Yes. So you do it POV. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, it does provide an interesting sort of thematic connection between mm -hmm. these two characters. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be very honest with you. And again, I'm not taking anything away from Carpenter as a director or anything else. Certain things, sometimes there's happy accidents. Like you do something because it's more cost effective. You do something because uh, whenever you know, it's it maybe it's 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 probably what I would think of the Jaws effect. Jaws is more effective because the shark didn't work. Right. Like there's less shark right. in the movie. It's more effective. Right. Why? But it shouldn't be. I know it shouldn't be, but it does. But and that's one of the things. It's not Spielberg saying, "Well, I'm going to keep the shark out of the movie." It's him going, "What do you mean it doesn't work again today?" You know, kind of thing. Like it just doesn't work. So, since you have less yeah. of the shark to be there, the same thing with this. There are scenes where you're like, "Wow, that was really brilliant to do that." I guarantee you, it's because it was cheaper, and it just because he's exactly he's, yeah, he's good at yeah. doing his job. It shot well, but it's like the decision originally was because this was cheaper. So. Uh, barely escaping, Lori runs back to the Doyle house, but finds that she lost her keys to the front door during the altercation with Michael. Uh, Tommy lets her into the house. Now, okay, so before that, we have where she goes and pounds on the door of the neighbor who yes. turns the light on and looks and goes, oh, it's Lori Stroud. Turn that off. She's she's no party animal. You know, just, They don't actually say that. That's yeah. just, but she's like the most straight-laced person in the entire town. And what's their attitude? Like, ah, right. the kid's. No, their, their attitude is uh, stupid teenagers. Yeah, you know, like what are they doing? They stupid want us teenagers. to open the door. They're going like, to do something. They're going to play a prank on us. And it's like, right? I'm just willing well, to bet and, most and, people yeah. know Lori's not playing a prank. So you know, kind of. Yes. And she's begging but, but you know, for she her life. Hang, she does hang in. Yeah, but she does hang out with that Annie and Linda. You know, yeah. that, you never can tell with those. But I'm saying <laughs> she's got a bloody arm and is begging for her life. If she's acting. You take the chance, you know, kind of thing like, well, maybe she's lying. Like, I don't know. Right. What if she's not? What? That's the thing. What if we're wrong? That's from the thing. Another car movie. What if we're wrong? Then we're yeah. wrong. You know, kind of thing. You know, love childs because he gives zero Fs the entire movie. Anyway, where are we here? Yeah, okay. well, that's, you know, that is, you know, that is the, um, to me, that is always the reference to, uh, you know, uh, Kitty Genovese, right? Mm -hmm who was, uh, she was the, the, the young woman who was uh, uh, attacked and stabbed outside of a building in, in Queens. Yeah. And, you know, so the, the whole thing is that nobody nobody answered for her calls for help. Yeah. You know, that supposedly there was like, you know, what, there were like 25, 30 witnesses, whatever. Yep. Nobody nobody did anything. Nobody helped her. Yep. That's that is that's what that is, right? That's that idea of the apathy of, uh, of, of, you know, people that say they care, but nobody actually cares. Is right. what that's that's reflective of, yeah. you know. Well, there's and, and uh, the other the other thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. There's but there's, but that's that also leads to the idea there are two types of people. There are people who talk a good game and people who do, 
right? Then and that's that's right. why that's why people always are like, you know, they say this about like firemen and policemen and stuff like that. Like when you're running away, they're running in. You know, and that's right. what it is. It's it's a very hard it's very hard sometimes. I've I've actually had this happen more than once where like I've been in a I was in a class well, I've been in a classroom where I had a child who he's a young man was choking on literally a half an egg roll I don't know how he got it down his throat but he did right and he's choking and no one realized he was choking because he wasn't gasping but then like he come I'm like oh crap he's choking and literally twenty of his abs his friends stood there terrified as I gave this kid the Heimlich and he spit half an egg roll out. Yeah. And they're like, how did you know to do that? I'm like, how did you not? How did you not? How would you watch your friend die in front of you? Like, you didn't even lift a finger to help him because you got scared, right? And isn't that the reality of life, right? Like, well, you know, it's the yeah. apathy sometimes. And it's also like, well, it's not happening to me. Or if I go out there, maybe I'll get hurt. Like, you know, it's it's just, I don't know. But that's that's another that's another podcast for another day. Um, coming soon, right. apathying you on the Two Two Freaks you know, network. Yeah, Follow listen us. or don't, we don't care. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, and the so before cast, she please. leaves the wall, this, hey, <laughs> the sweater cast will happen at some point. Uh, it's like, hey, what's up, sweater kittens? It's your, it's your boy Luke. But uh, um, so. Before before she leaves the Wallace house, you know, yeah. she goes and she runs through the kitchen. And again, we know where everything's laid out because Carpenter showed it all to us. Yeah. It's right where, you know, Annie spilled butter all over herself. It's right where Bob went and was, you know, perusing through the, the Wallace's uh, pantry and got himself pinned to a wall. Yeah. Um, so she she closes the door and locks it. Yeah. And then she is trying to get out and he has propped the rake. Yeah. on the door to the outside right so michael smashes through the door right right and then what does laurie do yeah laurie smashes through the door right right so again they are now they the two are now a duet they are now tied together in their actions so again he uh carpenter shows us that laurie is and the shape have similar patterns of behavior at this right, point right. in the film and then we get so she you know she she runs back across the street you know, like you said, runs back to the Doyle house and uh, Tommy lets her in. This is where it comes in, where it becomes suddenly important to know just how far it is between yes. the Wallace house and the yes, Doyle house. Exactly. Because now it's like, yeah, Tommy, he's coming. Yeah. He's right coming here. And it's like, it's only, you know, we know how we, we almost know exactly how many steps it is. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. the soundtrack is pounding. And you talked about, you know, the shape coming out of the closet. Yeah. Can you imagine this? Yeah. The the people yelling and shouting at the oh, damn I, yeah. screen now yeah. to get the, for for it's like for Tommy to open the door. Yeah, because <laughs> you know he's coming because you see him come out of the house, and you're like, well, it's the only and, right. he's, and he's walking, but he's not walking like hey, you know, he's he's walking with like a guy with a mission, and he's got a knife. So, um, so uh, where are we? So, uh, she tries. Okay, she uh, she tell lets her in the house. Lori tells Tommy and Lindsay to hide and tries to use the telephone for help only to find that it's dead. Cause Michael, we see him rip the line out. Um, yep. And that's when she, where are we here? Uh, sorry. He comes Michael, in through the side, right, sneaks window, in yeah. through the window and she, and attacks her again, where she stabs him in the neck with the knitting needle, which, which we she already established that she's sitting there. She has the knitting stuff on the couch. 
Like it's all right. It's you right. Just, again, that's not signposting, right? That's just like was in this in the scene. You know it's there, but like they didn't make a big deal about like let me move my knitting. A wink. Like, yeah, oh. they did. They didn't show. Yeah, yeah, they didn't make a big deal showing you that she had the needles in the bag and all that. It. She. She has her knitting bag. That's yeah. Yeah. her knitting bag that she's carrying when she goes over there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's. But again, that is you know, and and stabbing him right in the neck. You know. But it, but isn't that isn't that telling though, that like people would watch this and they're trying to make their own horror movies and stuff like that, and they like oh well. They show us that she has this, but instead of it being subtle, like she has her knitting back with her, we're going to signpost the heck out of things because people can't right. understand and they're dumb and they'll never get it. It's like, please, the people who don't get it will never get it. The people who are going to get it yeah. and the signposting is going to annoy, you're just going to annoy them. Like, you know, it's it's like... I don't know. It's 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 like I'm trying to remember. Oh, is that from Young Sheldon? The his friend who's like he's like I live down the street from that. It's like oh god. Like does anyone have a question? It's like can I go third? Like what? Like what? Like he's never going to understand what's happening. You know, kind of thing. Um, right. But that's what it yeah. is. Sorry, even a Young Sheldon reference tonight. Anyway, all right. Uh, thinking he's dead. Um, Lori staggers upstairs to check on the children, but Michael approaches to attack her again. She tells she isn't to hide in the bathroom while Lori hides in the bedroom closet where Michael finds her. Lori, now, when he's bursting through that door, you know people are coming on oh, yeah. that theater. The best right. is he doesn't he doesn't just pull the door open. He's smashing his way through it. Right. And I'm like, that's yeah, so perfect. Because she, yeah, she's, she's tied the door closed from the inside. Right. So he's kind of like... Um, like uh, like like George Reeves, you yeah. know, smashing through there yeah. to get at her, and it's but it becomes that much more intense because so Laurie does kind of she tries to play it smart. She opens the the uh, the bed the the door that leads to the out leads yeah. to the outside window, making you think oh that I went out that way yeah. and I won't look in the closet now. Whether we never because we are with Laurie in the closet, we never know if he even goes and looks or if he just knows that yeah. she's there, right? right? We can assume that he just knows that she's there. Yeah. But yeah, smashing through the closet, that was, that was always, I always remember, that was like always on the commercials, him like half in the closet, half out. Yeah. Like on Channel 11, they would say, you know, this Thursday at eight, you know, on yeah. WPIX, you know, that, that image is, is another one of him half in the closet, you know, reaching down to get at her. The other great part is too, because the light that's on the, like the pull chain, as they're struggling, the light turns on and off because they're yanking yes. the chain up and down. And you're like, that's awesome. Right. And again, happy accident. I guarantee you, because you try to do it on purpose, you break the chain. Right. It's just struggling. The right. light goes in and out. And then she uses the coat hanger, of course. Like, this is the best part. Right. So yes. she stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger. Like, yeah. Right. How resourceful is she? You know, kind of thing. She doesn't have her knit needle anymore, which causes right. him, of course, to drop the knife. And then she takes the knife and stabs him in the chest. How many yep. times do you see that? Like, oh, should I do this? She doesn't question it. Knife hits floor. No. She grabs knife. She puts knife in chest. You know, kind of thing. So. And right, exactly. And it's it's just it's just the way you do it because all she's doing she's protecting herself and she's protecting the kids. That's yeah. all she does. Like she said, I'm not about to let anything happen to you. So, and this now presents a third opportunity for Carpenter to show us 
who were the two people who stabbed people in the chest with a knife in yes, this movie? Right, right. It's Michael and Laurie. They yeah. are intrinsically linked at this stage. Yeah. And um, but, you know, again, it's it's like you said, it's quick thinking, too, that she she uses what she has on hand and figures out something right. to keep she she's. She's, you know, she's mousy. She's unassuming. She's a smart girl, but she's a survivor. She's got some instincts yep. to keep herself alive and keep her charges alive. Yeah. Well, think about this. It's the, it's the 70s. So, again, this isn't nowadays where you have, like, gun safes and whatever. What could have been in that closet? Uh, a rifle, a shotgun, like, you know, whatever. Right. Because people had that stuff in their closet. And, you know, what would have been with it? The shells. Because people used to do that stuff. Yeah. And you're like, no, they didn't. Like, yeah, they did. That's why we had to stop doing yeah, those things because kids found them and killed themselves, not on purpose. But like, people, they would find a loaded handgun. People would leave a loaded handgun. Why? Well, I'm not gonna leave it unloaded. It's like, well, because when if someone breaks in and I'm gonna kill them, I have to be loaded. I'm like, but that's the kind of stuff you're like, man, they didn't. Now, of course, again, monetary restrictions as well. But like, she could have found a gun in there. But that would have not worked. This isn't a movie about guns and shooting and stuff like that. In that sense, you know what I'm saying? Like, Michael Myers isn't killing right. people with a gun. Lori's not defending herself with a gun. Like, that, the 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 only person who has, well, well, I mean, that's not the only person, but, like, Loomis having a gun, the sheriff having a gun, those things make sense. But, like, that's not something a teenager would have, you know, on hand in the 70s. Right. Just laying around, like, oh, let me just pull out my Magnum, you know, my Colt 45 or something, and I'll blow them away. doesn't work that way, you know. All right, yeah. where are we? So she stabs in the chest. She then tells Tommy and Linda to go down the street to the neighbor's house and call the police, which they do a great job of running away screaming. Um, after they leave, Michael yep. rises once again, of course. Once he sits up, you know, like you know, where the Undertaker would have done and Kane years later, right? Literally, yes, yes. <laughs> the theater, because they've shown this stuff, people were coming unglued, and then the head turn, done. Like, it, everyone was screaming. Everyone is screaming, get out, yeah. get out, get out, because you now are so invested in Lori and these kids, and he's this this guy has now killed everybody else. You're like, this. he's got to get, you got to get out. You got to kind of think, right? So where are we? So and and yeah. that, but this also again now the pendulum has swung back to a supernatural. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you, I don't care how tough you are. Yeah. If you get stabbed in your midsection with a kitchen knife, you're not sitting up like that. Right. You're not turning your head calmly that way. You're not moving that well if you're bleeding out. But again, is he is he a man or is he the boogeyman? Right. We yeah. don't know, and there's no answers provided. And but yeah, you know, we talk about that the greatest oh snap moment in cinematic history is when Talos turns his head. It is pretty good though, dude. I gotta admit when Sim Talos similar turns his energy. Head, yeah. Similar energy is I'm just, all I'm saying. I'm just know? saying when Talos turns his head, you're like, Oh no, business just picked up. <laughs> um because even Hercules is like, Oh dang. We yeah. we done messed up, yo's. Yeah. Uh so you know, uh I mean, you know, it's just crazy. Um Loomis sees the kids running down the street, of course, and he goes to investigate, only to find that Michael is trying to attempting to strangle Lori. Lori snatches the mask off of Michael, distracting him as he needs to put it back on, which allows Loomis to shoot Michael six times, knocking him off the balcony. Uh, as Lori asked Loomis if that was the boogeyman, Loomis confirms. 
and he walks to the balcony and looks outside, only to see Michael has vanished. And a resigned yes. Loomis looks onto the night as Laurie sobs in terror. Um, the end of this movie happens. Things happen like they're just like staccato. But there's things happening. They never let up. Carpenter right. doesn't let you catch your breath. He purposely is trying to keep you off balance. He wants you scared. He wants you like worried for her. Like, man, she's come this far. She can't die. Like. The idea of a final girl didn't exist yet. Like, not really, right. you know, kind of thing. Because, let's think about it. Like, let's go back to Psycho. Janet Lee, the biggest star of the movie. She's dead less than halfway through. You know? Yes. Like, which, I I understand, I get the irony there. that Like, you know, Janet Lee couldn't survive, but her daughter can, you know, kind of thing. Because Jamie Lee Curtis is going to yeah. get out of there. Yeah. Right? Um, but, you know, what I'm saying is, but that's the craziest part about it. Is that you're here, you're invested, you don't want anything to happen to Lori, but you know this could still happen here. Like we still could have a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the film has the film has 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 not pulled its punches so far. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and the thing about this finale also. So again, he's he's not stabbing Lori. Yeah. He's trying to to, choke her. to strangle her. Yeah. Trying to choke her. Lori reaches up, messes up the mask, and he has to pull the mask off. It is. Again, it is crucial that he has the mask on. He can do nothing until he has the mask on at this point. Yeah. He, it's 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 not that his again, is that a mania or is that because with the mask off he's not he's not the boogeyman anymore. Right. Right? And and is that feeling is that something supernatural or is that something due to a due to a, a mental illness, due to an insanity? So it again, nothing's answered. But he is he and you see his his eyes all messed up from where she stabbed him. And he has to have the mask on because if he has he doesn't have the mask on, you get the feeling that he couldn't kill her. Right. right. He has to he has to disassociate. Right. He has to completely remove the human element by wearing this this featureless face to do this. And again, it's not it's not Loomis, you know, monologuing us this. It's right. all there in, yeah. in a in one shot or in two shots, technically, where we see him without the mask and then putting the mask back on before he moves again to get Lori. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and, oh yeah. yeah. And then Loomis, you know, you know, God, God bless, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Sam Loomis, you know, I wish there was a movie of like Sam Loomis and Paul Kersey just mowing down punks. Right. I, that been like the movie for Luke. They could have called it that, you know, just Charles Bronson and uh, Donald Pleasance just only saying a few words at a time and just pow, pow, pow. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> so um, Halloween is on the AFI 100 years, 100 thrills. It's number 68. Michael Myers is one of the 100 uh, greatest heroes and villains. He was nominated for as a villain. Um, this movie was also nominated for AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies, 10th Anniversary Edition. Uh, it is considered to be, it's, Bravo had it at number 14 on the 100 Scariest Movie Moments of All Time. Uh, it's made every list of greatest horror film, I think, ever, like, since it came out. Yeah. Um, it won the, Sat it was nominated for the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film by the Academy of, of Science Fiction, Film, Fantasy, and uh, Horror Films in 79. And uh, unfortunately, it lost out to the Wicker Man, uh, which is not quite up to par, but I, it's fine. 
Um, it's ranked 68. But you know yeah. what? The Wicker Man is a good song by Iron Maiden, so at least it's got that going for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of the one of the considered one of the 500 greatest movies ever made. Uh, it's in the top 100 horror movies of all time. It's in every everything's named. I mean, literally every. I can't. There's just the accolades go on and on and on about this movie. Um, in 1980, I think it's 80. Look, um, the TV rights, yes, 1980. The TV rights were sold to NBC for three million dollars for TV rights yes. for the movie. Are you kidding? That's insane amounts of money for them. Um, and that, of course, yep. we talked about the extra scenes back in uh, 2006. Synapse Film actually uh, uncovered some of the negatives containing footage from the film. They were labeled with 1981. There was even a more additional footage. Everything has been restored. Whatever is available has been put together, and they've cleaned it up. And it's all out there. You can definitely go get your hands on uh, Halloween, um, whether it be in the set or by itself as a standalone. There's a 4K version. This movie is is out there. And again, I again I understand some people are like, well, I don't like these kind of movies. And I'm like, you don't have to be a horror fan to enjoy this movie. This movie isn't just like right. a slasher or whatever. Like, some people will say to me, I hate the Friday the 13th movies, right? And I'm like, okay, well, you don't have to like them, but, like, I enjoy them because they're kind of mindless fun and they're whatever. And, you know, I like I like the kills and the body counts and the whatever. But And later movies in this series probably fall on that range, but, like, not this one. This is, this is like, this movie is literally one of the most important movies ever made. Dad and I talk all the time about how important, like, a movie like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or King Kong or whatever, right? How important they were to cinema. Right. It's it's hard to underplay how important Halloween was, not just to the horror genre, but just just in in movie making in general. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 not that this is Carpenter's first movie because he made movies before it, um, but this movie kind of established John Carpenter as somebody. Hey, this this young director kind of has an eye, and then he would go on to make movies that most people wouldn't even be willing to make, let alone be able to make, um, you know, kind of thing. And whether that is, you know, uh, the thing, or you know, even um, you know, Escape from New York, or or even like later on, like you know, th- things like you know, uh, Prince of Darkness, uh, you know, like these are movies that are not run of the mill, just average films. You know, they, every one of them has their different aspects where they they shine or where they hide their flaws. But Carpenter was able to make, uh, you know, some films when, you know, when studios would leave them alone that are some of the best movies of all time. And, right, yeah. you know, it's hard to kind of like, you know, it's, you, know, you don't want to be like, oh, like, you're just saying like, like, it is hard to sit down and watch uh like critically watch this movie and not appreciate all the things that are here that you're like wow like how did he know to do that how do you know to do this how did... and again some of it's happy accidents some of it's budgetary restraints you know the, the as i would go called the jaws effect but it, but a lot of it is he's right. like well this this has got to be shot this way it's got to be framed this way i got to show you this i got to show you that why because it establishes you to be part of the story you know so um, right. yeah. And and that's the thing the the what it 
obviously Halloween is important for, for what it created, like we said, but as a film, it's, it's, it's superlative yep. there to me. I mean, anytime I'm asked your favorite horror movie, it's Halloween yeah. and it's been Halloween for, for decades for me. I, I don't see any film dethroning this for me. And I, and I, I've, I've thought there's been other films I've been huge fans of that I think are influential and I can watch over and over. Nothing comes close to this. The other day when I was prepping this for this show, I watched, um, I had a, I had a, you know, had a break in the middle of the day. I just had a big grin on my face the whole time because it's, it's almost like a comfort food for me. I'm so yeah. familiar with this film, but everything still works. Even the, the parts that are supposed to be scary are still scary. The parts that are supposed to be a little silly are still a little silly. Yep. And it, nothing is dated. Nothing is, you know, oh, geez, I can't believe that. It's, it is, it, it is a, a solid, a, a, a constructed film of any genre as you're ever going to see. And there's a reason why this one is put on that pedestal. Like the, you know, AFI, they, they, they do, I will give AFI credit. They do give credit to genre films, yep. but you can see the number of times it shows up in their list, how important this film mm -hmm. is. The amount of people that can cite this as either this, that this is their favorite horror film of all time, or this is the one that inspired me to become a filmmaker, become a writer, become a makeup, uh, you know, uh, artist, yep. whatever it was that this film is crucially important. And it's not one of these films that's crucially important just because of its historical context. It's crucially important because it's an amazing film. Yep. And I'm, I know I sound like I'm gushing and I'm a fanboy, but I'm a fanboy for a very legitimate reason. Yeah. The other thing, too, is you keep in mind is this is 78. So you're not in like the 60s when like, you know, things were they were trying to push envelopes and stuff. Like horror was not a thing yet. Like, I mean, not not this kind of horror. I mean, you would have right. The Exorcist and The Omen like, but The Exorcist and The Omen are such different movies than this. Right. I mean, and first of all, The Exorcist and The Omen are both books. They were from books. They yeah. were the the Exorcist was a best selling book. The Omen, uh, um, you know, uh, Ira Levine's uh, The Omen, like, was a it was a number it was a number one bestseller, right? This has no story. Even Carrie was I mean, Stephen King a bestseller in his hands. There's no book this right. is based on. You know, there was no source material right. that someone wrote and people loved it. This thing could have fell flat. And then we would never have had all the movies that came after. But without it, you don't have literally one of the biggest genres of the 1980s. It it opened the door. And some of that is because Sean Cunningham, who is, again, fr who made Friday the 13th, is friends with John Carpenter. And they were just trying, like, what can we make cheap? We can do this. We can do that. And, and then they made a basically, and, and Friday, Friday the 13th Part 1 is a murder mystery. It's not really a slasher movie. But, like... Right. There's so many things that came out of this. If if you ask people like, oh, well, what's your favorite? Like, oh, I love, let's say, the Scream movies. Well, there is no Scream movies without slashers. And there's no slasher without Halloween. Right. And so, you know, yes. you this is kind of the grandfather of horror, you know, modern horror kind of thing. Right. Because everything was born out of this. Um, and then everything that was born out of it is just, a mute, it's just you know, things change and whatever. There is no Freddy Krueger. There is no Pinhead. There is no Jason Voorhees. There is no, it doesn't exist. There's no Candyman. And things like, because if horror is not accepted as something that people want to enjoy, because 
think about what <clears throat> horror movies, quote unquote, were in like the 30s and 40s. Frankenstein, Dracula, right. the Wolfman. Those are not the same type of like, monsters that we have here. Those are those are monsters. Those are like the universal monsters. The quote unquote monsters, you know, air quotes to the Mike monsters we have here are humans. Right. You know, it's 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 a guy who's can come back from the dead. It's a guy who was a child, uh, you know, molester and abuser who's, you, you know, is burned alive and he comes back in your dreams. It's, you know, it's it's a kid who slaughters his sister and then it's filled with so much evil and hate that he comes back 15 years later to kill everyone he can possibly get his hands on. Like those are not the same as Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the mummy. And it's not the same as right. the Cyclops, the dragon, you know, the, the Amir, like, it's not the same things go through cycles, right? It just happened to be this cycle mm -hmm. might be the biggest money-making cycle ever. Think about all the slasher movies and all yeah. the money they made for, I'm just right. saying, you know, so. Yep. It's, and it's, it's still going today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's still going today, you know, in, in, in one form, shape or another, yep. you know? The one thing you can guarantee yourself is that every Halloween there will be some slasher movie ish or three. Now they're just throwback to slashers, right? That'll come out and it might be a scream movie and it might be a, you know, a knockoff of Friday the 13th. It might be a knockoff of, uh, you know, Halloween or something like that. But there's always, they always know you got to get, keep that, got to keep pumping them out. Even if they're poor, I'm looking at you, Hellraiser series. Right. Uh, you know, kind of thing. Even if they're not well done, you keep making them. I mean, how many Saw movies are there? How many whatever? You know, and they, and they start making Saw-adjacent movies. And why? Because there yes. is no Saw. There is none of that stuff. It doesn't exist. So, but, mm -hmm. you know, like we said, folks, if you, again, if you haven't seen this, uh, I don't know what you're waiting for. Definitely check this out. Now, if you're saying, you know, I don't really like any of the sequels, that's fine. You don't have to like the sequels. Because the sequels are their own, I don't know, it's their own bag of, you know, whatever they might be. Um, I can, right, honestly, that, they're, yeah. they're their own thing. The, yeah. the, the, great thing about, the great thing about the sequels is that if one chooses to, you can stop right here and yep. you don't need to watch any yep. of them. And you get the whole complete story, you know, again, with the caveat that they're not answering your questions, but yeah. you get the whole story right here that you need. Right. Yeah, the other thing is, too, you could, in theory, watch this movie and then go to what? Is it H2O, right? Is that the... That, yes, you can jump straight to H2O. You can jump right yes, to H2O. Right, yes. And then you can stop after H2O, you know, because you don't have to go to the next one. It doesn't have to follow. It does, but you don't have to. And then isn't it possible, can right. you go right from this one? Isn't it possible to go right to the new one, the new trilogy? Yes, so that's right. Think about that. How many how many movie yeah. series allow sequel? Like you can go right from Halloween one to Halloween two, or you can go from Halloween the original Halloween to one, right, and go to Halloween H two O, or you can go from Halloween to Halloween again the the new one the Bloomhouse ones, and each one of those storylines, or you can just follow them all the way straight through, and it's kind of a little confusing at times, but like they all still work. How nuts is yeah. that, right? There's this, it's just not even, I can't think of another series that's like that, you know, where it's that clearly no. you can go 
there's different paths. It's like choose your own adventure, you know. But instead of reading the ba- yeah. reading it backwards <laughs> to figure out how to get to the princess, you just kind of go whatever. So, but yep. um, I just want to say thank you to my brother for being on. Uh, I knew when we were going to cover Halloween, there's only one person that can talk Halloween with. Um, not that Dad doesn't like this movie because Dad appreciates the movie Halloween, of course. Um, but you know, literally, this is my brother's favorite horror movie. It's been that for years. Even when the rest of us were like, well, I don't know. I kind of like Jason Voorhees. I kind of like Freddy Krueger. He's like, I like Michael Myers. That's who I'm going to dress up as yeah. for Halloween. I'm going to be Michael Myers, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. From a guy Did who that had... on a cruise ship. Yeah. Did that on a cruise ship. My wife and I went on a cruise over Halloween. Everyone was dressed up. I just stalked the promenade as as the shape up and yeah. down with my mother-in-law laughing her ass off behind yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. But you know the other thing is too is it's, it's kind of funny is like I, I I look at you know when you when you like you think about things that are you know the the iconic mask and everything else and most people would say well you go I get a you know killer what's the mask and they'll go with either the scream mask nowadays or they'll go with the the, the hockey mask right yep. but yes if you show to the Michael Myers, you know exactly what it is. It's not like that's not, they don't know it. It's yes. just that it's not what that comes to their mind because Michael Myers is not as pop culture as Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, he's kind of the working Absolutely. man. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, I always, well, yeah, yeah, the working man flash. He's, he's put, well, you know, Jason Voorhees is punching the clock. That dude is putting in. Yeah, no, he's, he's, no, he's not slashing off, but I'm saying, but he's, he's kind of now, you know, Freddie was always the wisecrack and he's, Freddie is the late night TV host. Jason Voorhees is kind of like, you know, he's the, you know, you know, it is, but like Michael Myers has always put the work in. It's just that he doesn't get the credit, you know, kind of, he's, he's, yeah. he's the carpenter. No pun intended of the, you know, the series. Yeah, he is the thing. carpenter. Yeah. It's a carpenter of the series. Make, yeah. Making, making other guys better. That's right. <laughs> oh God. So, but yeah, so like I said, I want to thank my brother for being on. Um, I know that, uh, we, um, you know, I, 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 I love always having you on. We always wind up, you know, talk about a ton of different movies and, uh, different things. Not that dad and I don't ever go off, you know, into tangents either constantly yeah. um yeah a little bit sometimes a little bit of yeah it's okay. okay but most of them get back to one thing uh no one likes cleopatra anyway no, so or <laughs> cleopatra falls short um you know it's not as it's not as prominent as uh our hate as are the, the constant hatred for hereditary but that's well deserved um but yes. yeah so luke why don't you tell people if they're if they want to hear you other places where they can find you Sure. If you're uh, not sick of listening to my voice already, uh, <laughs> you can check out my podcast, which uh, my main show is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a uh, show dedicated to Japanese giant monsters. So uh, uh, anything to do with what we call Daikaiju. So uh, that would be movies, TV shows, games, comics, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, and that is, like I said, it's Earth Destruction Directive is my main show. I'm also a co-host on uh, the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, along with my brother and uh, Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell and the hair metal hero Chris Tyler. And I am also a co-host on Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there's a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling, which I co-host with my brother and uh, the, hair metal hero, uh, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler. So anywhere that you find bots, bugs, and babes, you can find those shows. So if those sound interesting, please go check them out. I would really appreciate it. Yeah, sounds great. All right, folks, so, uh, you know, this is our, our mid-October um, episode. And I know some of you are saying, you should have put this out on Halloween. 
The reason I didn't is because I have another special guest coming for Halloween. Um, and th this person is making her return to Bots, Bugs, and Babes. She was on when she was very, very young, where she gave the very in inept, uh, in in insightful analysis of Piranha. Those people got naked and then they got eaten up, um, which was mm -hmm. literally as in-depth as that movie got sometimes. And um, that was Haley's yes. entire take. So my daughter Haley will be back. Um, and we're going to be talking about Witch's Night Out. Literally, one of my... It's kind of funny. Witch's Night Out came out the exact same time as Halloween. Uh, so, yes, it did. Um, you know, and uh, Witch's Night Out is one of our absolute seminal favorites. Luke and I watched it as a kid growing up. Um, it's one of those movies that just, you know, it's it's a TV special, but it's like so cool and so out there and so different. And it's so different. That's, yeah. that's what it is. It's yeah. not like any other, yeah. uh, ex except for the gift of winter. There yeah. is nothing else like, which is night out. Right. I will say that. So. And, and, and the great part about which is night out and you'll hear Haley and I talk about it. Um, this, this Halloween is that we, a lot of people semi remember it and then they see it. They go, Oh my God, I've seen this. Like it's not like Rudolph and Frosty and stuff like that, which you've seen a million times. Some people have only seen the seen the the, the show a like the, the special maybe once or twice. Like I've seen it dozens of times. We will watch that not just during Halloween time, but we'll watch that just on any other day. Like Haley's like, hey, Witch's Night Out, let's watch it. Like okay, and it's on YouTube. We just pop it up and we watch Witch's Night Out, and it's like because it's what thirty minutes, and you're like, it's what twenty eight minutes. You're like, this is great. I love this. You know, it's just like you know. And and who who doesn't who doesn't wouldn't love having Gilda Radner as a witch? But they're like, listen, bud, you know, I'm not the Avon lady. No, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's yeah, witches night out. So, I mean, it's it's one we we certainly watch every Halloween season as well. Yeah. Uh, picked up that great DVD of it. That uh, I think I got at Ollie's or something like that. But yeah, good good stuff. Yep. So, all right, folks. So, like I said, I want to thank my brother for being here. As always, he's uh, you know a, a welcome member. Uh, you know of the uh, you know, the extended family of Vots, Bugs and Babes here as we all kind of, you know, kind of thing. And um, only when I have Luke on, I know the uh, we'll have, you know, unlike dad and I do tangent as well. But like, it's always nice to have you on to talk about a movie that we both love and that, you know, literally has been so influential in our lives and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, all right. Folks. Well, thank you very much for having me on for Halloween, man. That sounds good. All right, folks, so like we say around here, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. 
I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti. And search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Giaconetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will you stop?